It's the Last Call Podcast with Chris Michaels. That's right. It is Mythology Week after I've received a number of complaints saying that I stick to the issues way too much, talking about current events and politics and gloom and doom. But before I get into the mythology, as always... I will be talking about current events and politics. First and foremost, we now have the CIA boasting that they are behind a whole bunch of high-profile assassinations in Russia aiding the Ukrainian intelligence service. And this is from the Washington Post. So now we have the idea here that the CIA, America, is now targeting civilians on Russian soil for shock and awe to create a sense of discord so that nobody feels safe, so that the war in the Ukraine is brought to Russian homes. It's only going to be a matter of time before this kind of escalation reaches the doorsteps in Washington, D.C. It's a very dangerous game. The Washington Post published a bombshell report which vindicates Moscow's worst fears. Up to now, any pundit daring to write that Putin's accusations that the West has for years backed a covert campaign to destabilize Russia while stoking the 2014 civil war was smeared as a pro-Kremlin propagandist. As usual, the United States and the CIA and the federal government is engaging in inversion and also propagandistic disinformation. It seems as though that the conspiracy theorists and the critical thinkers and lovable fuzzballs all across the fruited plain are way ahead of the curve yet again. And as always, we know the truth. We are able to cut through the myths of confusion and the clouds of annoyance that these leftist government stooges happen to throw in front of us. The D.C. establishment's premier newspaper is openly admitting that the CIA is actively running covert ops inside Russia killing the uh, and the killing of journalist and geopolitical commentator Daria Dugina, the daughter of Alexander Dugin, another conspiracy theory, is now made conspiracy Fact. Wow. And we also find out, according to the article, the missions have involved elite teams of Ukrainian Nazis. I mean, operatives drawn from directorates that were formed, trained and equipped in close partnership with the CIA, according to the current and former Ukrainian and U.S. officials. Since 2015, the CIA has spent tens of millions of dollars to transform Ukraine's Soviet formed services into potent allies against Moscow. So once again, you've got NATO. NATO, NATO creating an Operation Gladio style event all throughout the Ukraine, and they're using literal Nazis to go infiltrate into Russia and kill civilians. Yes, Daria Dugina, or Dugina, whatever her name is, and Alexander Dugin, they are technically civilians even though they are as bombastic and bloodthirsty as a Lindsey Graham. You don't see anybody going after, from the Russian side, a Barry Weiss. You don't see anybody going after a Glenn Greenwald or 
any other stupid reporter like a Glenn Beck who looks like he should be selling fried chicken. Now, if we can only find somebody that looks like Glenn Beck and speaks like Senator Kennedy, I mean, we'd have a winning combination. Or is he a House of Reps? Uh, the guy that talks with the Southern drawl and says, I wouldn't touch that at all, ever, will throw me in the dog dish and call me dirty. I'd rather grab a wet ferret in a fuse box before I touch anything closely related to Hillary Clinton. What Those stupid colloquialisms. I can't think of a whether... Well, let's just look it up. Let's just kill time because that's what we do. We can do this because we're broadcast professionals. Uh, where, where would he be? Uh, let's see. Uh, no, I typed in Kennedy Southern. I got some bizarre high school. So anyway, you get the idea. You know, the politician. I'm just so disenchanted with everything political lately that I just don't give a damn, to be completely honest with you. So then the Washington Post goes in and describes how they decided to kill and how they killed uh, the daughter of Alexander Dugan, political commentator over in Russia. And it's it's really disgusting. Uh, they, they, it was placed, the device, the, the, um, the explosive device, was actually placed in a pet carrier in a hidden compartment, and nobody knew about it. And four weeks later, it destroyed the SUV and killed the daughter of Alexander Dugan. I mean, it is just reprehensible, disgusting behavior that these people actually think that something like that, killing killing a mother and killing the daughter of somebody that is not a combatant, is some kind of Pyrrhic victory, is beyond me. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And Tyson comes out. Tyson is now saying that, oh, we've, th- thank goodness, uh, we have signed on to the World Economic Forum, we believe that uh, all of you bottom dwellers, those strap hangers that uh, is out there, uh, well, guess what? Oh, I was close. Senator Kennedy, John Neely Kennedy. I knew I would get it at some point. Uh, but Tyson Foods is now saying we are entering the bug market. We're going to start introducing insect ingredients so that we can maintain the climate and reach our zero-carbon footprint idiotic goal. Tyson Foods has announced that it will be partnering with Protix, a Dutch company that brands itself as the world leader in insect ingredients to foster more sustainable protein production. Oh, yes, because human beings were meant to eat bugs, and they are creating an insect ingredient facility to manufacture bug-based protein in the U.S., And Tyson revealed that when the proposed plant is completed, it will be the first at-scale facility of its kind to upcycle food manufacturing byproduct into high-quality insect proteins and lipids. Oh, I wonder if there are nanolipids involved in this, which will primarily be used in pet food, aquaculture, and the livestock industry. And our partnership with Protix represents the latest strategic investment by Tyson to foster groundbreaking solutions that drive added value to business and so on and so forth. You've got more idiotic PC language. So they are really going full bore here to make sure that we 
as human beings and the livestock, the cattle, if you will, depending upon which religious text you read, eat bugs. I don't care how you slice it. It ain't kosher if you're starting to eat bugs. I don't know about you, but fried tarantula is not really on my menu anytime, anywhere. Ironically, uh, people eat lobster and crab, which is, guess what, sea bugs, but that's another story. But, I mean, if if memory serves. Uh, Sea bugs with garlic and butter is quite divine. Mix that in with a little chives in your mashed potatoes, and you've got a dish to die for. Uh, But that is neither here nor there about the whole bug argument. So Tyson Foods... Avoid them if you can. I mean, they've run into kind of uh, icky things in the past when it comes to abusing animals and and being uh, kind of skirting skirting regulations and so on and so forth. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't be someplace that I would actually buy anything from. So just watch out for that because we don't want bug burgers or anything like that. And we don't want anybody that supports that kind of meal plan. Uh, to be anywhere within our grasp because we don't like people like that. Okay, so going back to mythology week, uh, I wanted to focus a little bit on the creation myths again. Uh, And basically, there's something that's in common with what I read last night or skimmed through quickly last night, and that is this idea of a world egg, a cosmic egg. A lot of cultures in the ancient past believe that there is some kind of egg that is allowing mankind to sustain itself. And this cosmic egg comes from all different cultures. Vedic, Zoroastrianism, Gazidism, Mandaeism, Orphic, which is Greco-Roman, Egyptian, Phoenician, Chinese, Finnish, on and on and on. All of these cultures talk about this egg. I'll even throw in their Zulu. And I will also add for a bonus, um, you have Sumerian myth. And they talk about this egg. So in Vedic mythology, the earliest idea of the cosmic egg comes from Sanskrit. And it derives from two words, creator god and anda, meaning egg. So, this Rig Veda uses a similar name for the source of the universe, which literally means golden fetus or golden womb, and is associated with the universal source where the whole of all existence is to be supported. The Upanishads, no, let's try that again, Upanishads elaborate that a, way, a name that I can't pronounce floated around in emptiness for a while and then broke into two halves and formed the heavens and the earth. So there you go. You have kind of an idea of, in Vedic uh, mythology, that there is a firmament out there. You've got an egg, which is a shell, right? The golden fetus cracks in half. Then it becomes the earth, and then you've got the shell on top, which becomes the heavens. Zoroastrianism. Uh, In the cosmology of Zoroastrianism, the period of material creation lasted 3,000 years, began after the treaty of when Ormazd recited the Anuar prayer, 
revealing to Araman. Now, Araman, for all of the people that don't know about Zoroastrianism, you got two main dudes. You've got Araman, and then you've got Ahura Mazda. Mazda is the good guy. Mazda comes out there and says, do good, feel good, think good. And Araman is the bad guy. To brush up even further, there are the two separations of night and day of black and white. And the black portion was Araman. The light portion was Ahura Mazda. And Mazda then started to create beings, created immortals, created angelic beings, mankind, and so on. And then Araman said, well, you can't just do this. I can't just abide by your will by supporting you and your creations. I'm going to make my own creations. And then so that's where you get demons from and all of the uh, other kinds of energetic beings that try to destroy Mazda's creations. And so that didn't really work. So they describe it as the Aramanic demons. Uh, they try to thwart water. So that's where you get storms from. Water does never, it never disappears, right? Water is always here, but the storms try to upset it. Uh, Araman tried to destroy plants, but all they got were, all, all that was created actually, nothing was destroyed, was actually thorns on the plants and so on. So you get the idea. Araman is a manipulator, not a destroyer, even though he really tries. Uh, revealing to Araman his ultimate defeat, causing him to fall back into the darkness in a stupor, which lasted for the entire period of creation. During the time, uh, Ormazd fashioned his creatures and creations in material form by celebrating a spiritual yasna. He placed each creation under the protection of one of the seven angelic beings. First, he created the sky, and which enclosed the world like the shell of an egg. The second creation was water, which filled the lower half of the egg. The third creation, earth, shaped like a flat disk floating on the primeval waters. Now, that's a very important theme, primeval waters, because primeval waters are described in many, many, many ancient cultures. It is the chaotic waters. It's also, if you brush up on your Zulu, primeval waters, the phrase or the word, or, or maybe it was Dogon, either Zulu or Dogon languages, uh, both in Africa, both in the sub-Saharan African portion there. Um, there's no difference in the words or the phrase for water and space. So they are one and the same. So th does that mean that space is actually an energetic version of water. Water that we see here, that we know and love, is actually the most densest form of space. Very interesting thing to consider. And on and on we go. Yazidism mentions the universe as having originated from a white pearl that existed in pre-eternity. So you get that egg again. Mendeism. Oh, man, these words are killing me tonight. Good God, I feel like I'm reading medical texts again, like back in COVID. And in their creation myth, their accounts uh, often mention the universe as having originated from a primal fruit or sometimes an egg. Uh, in Greco-Roman mythology, the cosmic egg from which hatched the primordial hermaphroditic deity, Phanes, for anybody that doesn't know what a hermaphrodite is, it's got both male and female genitalia. Uh, Protogonus also is in there, Various, equ variously equated also with Zeus, Pan, Metis, Eros, 
and so on, who ter in turn created the other gods. The egg is often depicted as with a serpent wrapped around it. And Phanes was believed to have been hatched from the world egg of Kronos and Ananki, which is essentially Kronos, the titan of time, and also Ananki, uh, the titan of... I believe it's a titan. I'm not sure. Let's try this out. Here, what do we got here? Uh, personification, it's a female, primordial deities. Yes, I was right. And that is the primordial deity of necessity, or also known as night in some cases. And also that primordial egg ultimately creates nighttime and daytime. Uh, so you get this overarching theme that there is a flash of awareness. There is this cosmic egg, this sphere that creates life from everywhere. I mean, it even involves Polynesian mythology. If you wanted to go to the Cook Islands, you can read about that. Uh, in Dogon mythology, in the beginning, Amadogon alone was in the shape of an egg. The four collarbones were fused, dividing the egg into air, earth, fire, and water, the four elements, if you brush up on your tarot, establishing also the four cardinal directions. Within this cosmic egg was the material and the structure of the universe and the 266 signs that embraced the essence of all things. The first creation of the world by Ama was, however, a failure. The second creation began when Ama planted a seed within herself, a seed that resulted in the shape of a man. But in the process, there was a flaw, meaning that the universe would now have within it the possibilities of incompleteness. The egg became two placentas, each containing a set of twins, male and female. After 60 years, one of the males, Ogo, broke out of the placenta and attempted to create his own universe in opposition to Ama. But he was unable to say the words that would bring such a universe into being. He then descended as Ama transformed into the earth the fragment of placenta that went with Ogo into the void. Ogo interfered with the creative potential of the earth by having incestuous relationships with it. His counterpart, Nomo, a participant in the revolt, was then killed by Ama, the parts of his body cast in all directions, bringing a sense of order to the world. Within five days, Ama brought the pieces of Nomo's body together. It sounds like an Osiris myth, right? Uh, cast in, uh, no, restoring him to life. Nomo became ruler of the universe. He created four spirits and the ancestors of the Dogon people. So this is important here. This also could be tied to Navajo myth. Navajo myth basically says you've got multiple worlds that create themselves and destroy themselves. You've got the first world pops open, a, a burst of awareness, and then it collapses. Then you've got the second world, another burst of awareness, and then it collapses. Then you've got a third world, on and on. I think we're in the fourth or fifth world. So this idea of a big bang is not unknown to ancient people. This idea of a cosmic spark, in this case, they're referring to it as an egg, it is not unknown to many, many ancient cultures. It's very important to realize that there is this notion of a cosmic egg where awareness does not start until this egg is cracked open. And once it is cracked open, you then have a reality tunnel. You have your own little playground with a firmament, a 
sky, if you will, the heavens, if you will, like Oranus from last night, and the earth, like Gaia from last night and the last podcast that I did about Greco-Roman origin myth. This is important to realize this because this implies that your awareness, and we're talking about a very, very high up metaphysical awareness, is responsible for creating the reality tunnel that we are currently experiencing. So every time you run into something, whether it's small or big, whether you're talking about some uncomfortable situation with your son or your daughter or your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, you created that situation. You created the uncomfortableness because you needed to grow. You had to start questioning, why did I run into this situation? Why did I create this situation for myself? And why am I being forced to grow from this? It's the same concept with this cosmic egg. We are grand beings. We are divine beings. And the idea that we just come here and we've got one life to live and then it's all over and then we just turn into worm chow is idiotic. It's short-sighted. It is limiting. And it reduces you to nothing more than a mere plaything for the powers that be. We are all graced with divinity, and we are all allowed to create our own reality tunnels. And that's what you get with these cosmic eggs from all over the place. It is a signal that you, and let's just say mankind, let's be nice. Mankind was created from a burst of awareness, and you have overarching gods and goddesses that allowed the cosmic egg to be created in the first place. And we are merely experiencing this fragment of awareness within these play spaces, within these cosmic eggs. The cosmic egg, I'll say it again, earth and the heavens. It creates a dome over the earth. It allows us to experience a reality. These ancient myths are bigger and more all-encompassing than any acid trip or mushrooms trip that you could ever take. And I'm not doing it any justice. But you have to go along with this idea that cosmic eggs all throughout the creation myths are very, very important. They are extremely important because that also implies that from the egg we can also grow. We can have further awareness formed throughout all of the planet because now that confined space is cracked open, so it's up to us to determine what we make of it. I was going to get into Egyptian uh, creationism and also Apache creationism, but I'm not going to do it. It's just not enough time. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and jawbone for 45 minutes when I'm clearly having trouble getting words out of my mouth properly. And, uh, and oddly enough, uh, the, old, the old tiredness is coming on to Chris Michaels and glomming on to me like a, uh, like, I don't know what, so, like a remora. How about that? Uh, but I will, t I, I'll get into it tomorrow because it's mythology week. Uh, I will get into 
Egyptian creation myth and the primeval waters, because the primeval waters are very important to know about as well, because from the primeval waters, that's where you get the cosmic egg, right? Primeval waters are also associated with the feminine, and you can make all of the connections you want between water, water breaking, and the feminine, and the divine, and the moon, and so on and so on. So that's going to be tomorrow's podcast. It's the Last Call podcast, writing it in, stumbling across the finish line, clearly tired and exhausted, with Chris Michaels.